Can Nick Smith Jr. pass Scoot Henderson? Is Terrence Shannon Jr. this year's Ocha Akbaji? And what transfer will have the biggest impact on his team and find himself in the 2023 NBA Draft? And in this episode, I will answer your mailbag questions, so stay tuned. Good morning and happy Monday. Shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. I am your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBADraftJunkies.com. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That is PrizePicks.com, promo code Locked On. Well, I hope everybody had a great weekend. I just came back from my college's homecoming. I went to Jackson State University. I don't know if you can see it on the YouTube. I know you definitely can't see it on the podcast, but it was a great experience. I usually go to homecoming, or at least I did for, man, I had like a 10-year consecutive streak. It's probably longer than that. And I hadn't been since like 2015 because I had been traveling abroad. So this is like my first time in the country around this time of year. So I had a a very, very good experience. We had, um, you know, a lot of attention on Jackson State this year. I know this is a basketball podcast, but um, Deion Sanders has definitely brought much needed publicity to Jackson State and just HBCUs in general. And we had Good Morning America there. Snoop Dogg was there. Rick Ross. uh, Quite a few other people were there. So I'm just... Glad to see that my alma mater is getting some much-needed love. Had a chance to talk to a good friend of mine, Mo Williams, uh, who was an NBA All-Star. A lot of people know Mo from his time playing with LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he is the basketball coach at Jackson State. So I'm looking for big things from Mo and Jackson State on the basketball side this year. They actually have some some pretty... uh, Good games on their schedule. I mean, they're, they're probably not going to win those games, but it's, it's some games that I'll be paying attention to just from, you know, the aspect that it is my my alma mater. And then they'll play some bigger schools that have some NBA prospects. So I'll be looking forward to that. Now, this episode, like I mentioned in the opening, I'm answering your questions. I have been receiving a lot of questions lately, a lot of questions, like tons, tons and tons of questions. And actually, to be honest with you, I'd say probably 50% of the questions that I have been receiving have pretty much been about making a career and scouting and, and, and creating content. And I think maybe one day I'll, I'll find a way to address that and answer some of the questions on one hand, I don't feel like I've completely made it, but on the other hand, I guess you can say I'm at the, I guess the top of the bottom, if that makes sense. I mean, of course, you got your your draft guys at the at, at the very top that have hundreds of thousands of followers and so on, and then I think I'm you know a couple tiers below them right now as far as popularity. But as far as just being able to monetize draft content, I'm definitely open to helping people answer those questions and as far as just how to get started but I'll I'll cover that on another episode but in today's episode like I said this is a mailbox episode I'm going to answer questions and the first question that I want to answer is can Nick Smith bypass Scoot Henderson so I, I guess the person has already 
marked Victor Wimbayama as the top pick in the 2023 draft. Has him solidified as the number one pick and magic marker. And it's almost a, a done deal. And so a lot of people think that the second pick is pretty much locked up too with Scoot Henderson. But this question is, can Nick Smith bypass Scoot Henderson? And I think Nick is in a, a, a tier of guys that are competing for the third spot. I think Scoot is pretty much a shoe-in to be the second pick. You know, some may feel like if, if Nick played in the for the Ignite, he would have big numbers. Some feel like if Scoot played in, in college, he, he'd definitely dominate. Just as far as my personal, I mean, my opinion, my personal opinion, I think that I would go with Scoot just because Scoot is just a phenomenal athlete. And I have mentioned it before in different podcasts. You normally don't see guys at his age with that type of athleticism that have his type of of pace to his game. His game is not totally built off of being athletic. And he has just this great ability to switch speeds. And, and I mean, even though it was just one game, it was a showcase game, I thought he showed major improvement as a passer. He had nine assists in the showcase against uh, Wimbayama. And then he showed a much improved uh, three-point shooting stroke. I think as far as, like, three-point shooting numbers last year, they were low. And I just chalk it up to just having to adjust from the high school line to the NBA three-point line. I mean, most people go from high school to the college line, but he had to adjust from the high school to the NBA three-point line. He was a a really good mid-range shooter. He's one of the best mid-range shooters in the G League last year, which is pretty much close to the high school line. So I think once he extends his range, he's going to be a pretty good shooter. As far as Nick Smith... There's some things that I like about Nick. Then there's some things that I'm a little concerned about. I've seen some people list him as like an elite athlete, and he's also someone whose game is not necessarily dependent on his athleticism. But I, well, with my own eyes, I don't see elite athleticism, right? I don't see him as the same tier athlete as as a, a Scoot Henderson. If, if I had one knock on Nick is that he just doesn't get to the rim enough for me. He relies heavily on contested pull-up jumpers, and floaters. I would like to see him personally get to the basket a little bit more. Maybe it's just the film that I've watched, but I I feel like I've watched a pretty extensive amount of film. And maybe he'll show more at Arkansas. Maybe even if he doesn't show it at Arkansas, he may be able to show it in the NBA where there's a lot more floor spacing. But that would be my my concern about, about Nick. I think Scoot has a more defined position as a point guard. Why Nick is a combo guard, and just depending on how you look at that, you may look at that as an advantage towards Nick because he can play both positions. But I think with Scoot, I think he's, uh, like I said, just a, he has a de- more so of a defined role. And that's why I think that it's going to be tough for Nick Smith Jr. to pass Scoot Henderson. But Nick could end up being the third pick. I think there's a range of guys from. Cam Whitmore to Derek Whitehead, some say Keontae George. There's quite a few guys that can that that are in that range for 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 the third spot. Definitely can't forget about the the Thompson twins and overtime elite. So that answers my question. No, I don't think that Nick can bypass Scoot Henderson, but that's not a bad thing. It's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. All right. The next question is who is the top transfer in college basketball and and you know. College basketball is a whole lot different than it was when I was growing up. Transfers had to sit out a year. Now you can transfer. Some guys are on their third school, and they've been able to transfer to three different schools without having to sit out. Some of the names that come to mind as far as 
impact transfers. You got Kendrick Davis going to Memphis. You got Kevin McCullough Jr. at Kansas. You got Pete Nance at going from Northwestern to North Carolina. My sleeper pick is Antonio Reeves at Kentucky. He had a great summer. He averaged 20 points and about three assists last season before transfer. I think he was at Illinois, Illinois State. And he's been a scorer, and he's a senior, and I think that he could have, like, the biggest impact as far as on his team. And I also think that with a, a strong year at, that he could put himself in position to be a, a second-round pick, maybe even late first-round pick. It is going to be a bump up in competition, but I think with college basketball kind of – I mean, on one hand, you want to say it's getting younger, but then on the other hand, it's probably a little older because – the whole COVID year has some guys playing at like 24 and 25 years old. But I think he could have the the biggest impact outside of Kevin McCullough Jr. And I've talked about McCullough Jr. I think he's going to be the, the, the transfer that has the, the most impact at Kansas. It'll be interesting to see if he gets to play a lot of minutes at point guard. I know Kansas has a point guard already. Um, but if he sees some time at point guard, and the, the biggest concern for Kevin is just one, being healthy, um, he I thought he was potential to get drafted in the second round this year's draft. He pulled out due to an ankle injury. But I do think that if he can shoot 35 36% from three with his defensive ability and his size and, and you know, the role as a connector and, and able to be like a ball handler, I think that he could be someone that could – sneak in the first round but I think it's gonna be totally totally dependent on how well he shoots from three all right the next question is speaking of transfers thoughts on Darson Garcia I think he's an NBA center that's that's the the question Garcia is I mean he has size I mean he's someone that you could think would be your could have a pick and pop role in the NBA good positional size at 6'11", has a strong frame. He is agile. He's coordinated. He shot 36% from three over 43 games in his career, 105 attempts. Now, this will be his third school in three years, was a freshman at Marquette. I think he was like all all Big East. And then he was at North Carolina last year. Had an had a okay start, and then he ended up leaving. I think he had some um, some family obligations that he wanted to move closer to home. And now he's back at home at Minnesota. As far as him being an NBA center, yes, I, I get it. As far as like the shooting, getting 36% from three is, is good, especially at 6'11". But my question is, how, what does he do outside of that? Like if the jumper's not falling, which again, maybe a little nitpicking here. If the jumper's not falling, I don't necessarily know what he does on on an NBA level. He's not like a great rim protector. He's a below-the-rim finisher. And during the short time he played at North Carolina, he struggled. Only shot 45% at the rim. He missed 51% of his layups, and he just was inefficient in the low post. Now, again, I know that's not his role in the NBA. It won't be his role, but still at 6'11", he only shot three. Three for 15 on post-ups at North Carolina. And I know the numbers at, at Marquette were a little bit better, but he still shot. He was the most efficient. So I think if he can shoot maybe 38 to 40-something percent from from three and then add a little bit more of a, a game around the basket and maybe as a roller, then he 
I mean, then I think that he could definitely put himself in position to be a second-round pick. But that's just my opinions on Dawson Garcia. I, I do think that he has the size and he has a defined NBA role, but I think he'd need to be a little bit better as a, a shooter. And the, the touch is there. There's no question it's touch. He's almost 80% shooter from the foul line. But I would like to see him add a little bit more stuff to his game around the basket, be a little bit more efficient. And if he can show that he can block shots, then I think that he has a chance. All right, when we return, I'll answer a few more questions, but I want to talk to you about prize kicks, which it prize picks. I almost said prize. I said prize kicks because there is a sneaker store around the corner from my house called Prize Kicks, and I always see their ads. But I want to talk to you about prize picks, and prize picks is daily fantasy made easy you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry just pick two to five players and they will go score more or less than the prize picks projection so you're not competing against people it's just you versus the projections available and prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch whether it's nba nfl major league baseball nhl pga college football college basketball women's college basketball soccer they even have esports Tennis, MMA, boxing, if, if it's a sport, more than likely they have it. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. It is safe, and there are fast withdrawals. And currently, it is operational in over 30 states and the entire country of Canada. So download the PrizePix apps or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, prize picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, prize picks will give you $50. So don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for instant deposit match up to $100. Once again, thank you for making Locked On NBA Big Boy your first listen of the day. Now for your second listen, check out the Game to Game podcast every moment every top performance every result locked on game to game covers every game from across the nba with local analysis that only locked on can deliver so follow game to game on the locked on network and it is available on the odyssey app youtube or wherever you get your podcast all right thanks again like i said for making this your first listen of the day i'm your host rafael barlow and in this episode we're just going through some of my dms or the messages that i have been receiving about questions regarding the 2023 nba draft and just college basketball in general all right the next question is alex fudge is alex fudge a first rounder alex fudge is a defensive star <laughs> best word i can think of offensively he's he's a major work in progress made a name for himself at lsu last year for his defensive numbers as far as like his block and, and steal rate i think that the numbers that he posted were like the best since matisse Thybul at washington a few years back offensively he's like i said a work in progress he'll be at florida this year and the key for him is just showing can he or did he add a little bit to his offensive game his calling card in the NBA, his defined role in the NBA is going to be as a defensive stopper. The question is, especially in today's NBA, can he provide something on offense? Because no matter how great of a job he does on defense, if he's a liability and his team is playing four on five on offense, then 
you know, it, it, it's going to be tough for him to see minutes, especially in the playoffs where scoring counts. And so this year as a, as a sophomore, he has to show he has something to his game, has to show that he can just be an asset on the offensive end of the floor. Now, he is a terrific wing shot blocker, and he just stuffs the stat sheet on defense, whether it's steals, blocks, he's a hustle player, brings energy. There's no questions about the defense. Maybe he may need to get a little bit stronger and bulk up. But he's an excellent rebounder. He's a good athlete. He rebounds out of his area, which is something that I really like for, for guards and wings. And he crashes the offensive glass. Now, as far as, like, the areas of concern, now, now the ball handling is – it needs to improve tremendously. He has a very bad tendency of picking up his dribble. Doesn't really have an identity on offense. He's a very reluctant shooter. And which is something that's – this is weird to me, that defensively – you credit him for his hands. He has quick hands. He gets his hands on everything from steals to blocks. But I feel like offensively, when it comes to, like, catching, I don't think he has, like, the best hands. I see him bobble passes. He is turnover prone. He doesn't have much touch around the rim, which, again, I think is related to his hands. I think just like his overall feel and basketball IQ is 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 behind. And his shooting splits were bad. 42, 28, 56% shooting splits. So 56% from the foul line. So, again, I think this all goes into his hands. I think he just lacks touch as a shooter, as a finisher. And I think that's going to have a major impact on, you know, what he can do on the offensive end of the floor. And then as far as, like, the passing and decision-making, he only had eight assists compared to 27 turnovers as a freshman. So to answer your question, the question was, is Alex Fudge a first-rounder? If he can just be average on offense and continue to like just dominate defensively I think he has a chance but it's it's an uphill battle for him to have enough offense to to get into the first round and what I consider a deep class all right the next question is will this be a breakout season for Damian Collins that's a good question you would hope so there was some some talk about Damian Collins being a first round pick coming into last season um, they thought he was going to be a one-and-done guy. And, you know, I, like last year, going into his freshman season, I was not high on Damian Collins. I saw the athletic ability. I saw the physical, you know, the, the physical tools. But I felt like he lacked an identity. I thought that he settled for too many jumpers. I thought he tried to play too much like a wing. I didn't see him do much around the basket. And you can go look, listen to, like, past episodes from about a year ago. I wondered, like, what was his role going to be at Kentucky? Was Kyle going to make him score around the basket? And he didn't really play a lot as as a freshman. He didn't have the impact that that I thought he would. But overall, he still has tremendous upside and potential. And even though I felt like he played too much in the perimeter in high school and, and wanted to be a wing so bad, he does have enough of those wing skills that I think you can build up on. And if you turn him into like this, athletic role man vertical lob threat that can make some plays off the dribble or, or shoot or pull up then you have a pretty you know decent offensive weapon there but right now it's just a matter of him finding an, an identity I think that his athleticism definitely translates he does play hard he can draw fouls with his activity he's a vertical lob threat he's definitely a lot more skilled than he was able to show last year but my concerns are the frame is a little thin he's still raw the shot selection 
at least not last year, not not as bad as, as it was like when I saw him in, in the prep level. But the shot selection can can be a little bit spotty. Um, the shot needs to be consistent. He's an inconsistent shooter when he does shoot the ball. And then I just wonder about his touch. But overall, I just think that if he can just, again, showcase the athleticism, maybe add a little bit of face-up game and showcase some of the wing skills that – that he does have, then there is a chance that he could see his name, you know, on, on first round on, on like mock drafts as a first round pick, which is something that he was at this time last year. So as far as him being a having a breakout season, I definitely think that he is a candidate to have a, a breakout season with the, another year of college basketball under his belt. All right. Last question in this segment. Will Terrence Shannon Jr. be this year's Ocha Akbaji? And that is a very, very, very good question. Because Terrence Shannon Jr. seems like he's been on NBA radars forever. I know after his freshman year, I had a, a breakdown video on him on NBA Draft Junkies on my YouTube channel. And it seems like he's done what he's supposed to do to get better. But it just seems like he's basically taken the Akbaji route. Deciding to develop in the NBA as opposed to just developing in college. Coming into his sophomore year, after his freshman year where he showed the flashes and potential, the concern was about his shooting. Can he shoot? Can he shoot? Can he shoot? Can he shoot? That was something that you always heard because he was such a reluctant shooter as a freshman. He, he rarely took shots. But overall, he's improved as a shooter. Now, as far as like his what his role is in the NBA, that is that is that is like the question. He's like this 6'6". He has a positional size. He's a bouncy athlete, long arms. He's left-handed. has a good first step. He's fast in the open floor. He does play hard. But it's like his role has changed so much as a freshman. Like when he was a freshman, he was like this energy guy that kind of played hustle points, was an active cutter, and just did all the dirty work. He was very much a blue-collar player. But over time, as he developed more uh, of a shooter, he took a lot more threes and he became somewhat of like a straight line downhill slasher. And he's a solid ball mover and passer, but it's just kind of interesting to see how much his role has changed. Now, the concerns about him are, does the shooting translate as far as the consistency? And offensively, doesn't really have a lot of creativity off the dribble. It's just kind of straight line drives where he can use athleticism to blow by guys and, and kind of finish at the rim. Um, he does need to work on going right. He's very left-hand dominant. When he's going to his right, he's nowhere near as explosive. I think he needs to add like a soft touch finish package around the rim. You know, he doesn't really have like a lot of different floaters or just creativity around the rim. Now, as far as finishing around the baskets, around the basket, I know the numbers aren't great, but I will put it into context that Texas Tech did not have very much floor spacing. It was like playing in the phone booth. I mean, college basketball already is a game where the lane is congested, and at Texas Tech, where they didn't have a lot of shooters, it was even more difficult to to, to get around the basket or finish around the basket. So him and Kevin McCullough are two of the transfers from Texas Tech that have left that I'm looking forward to seeing. If their numbers were, if their numbers were impacted by Texas Tech's lack of spacing and just they they had a very basic old school offense. Now I've heard that they've made some incredible changes to the offense this year. I heard they hired like this genius coach from the the JUCO ranks that is just a offensive 
genius, <laughs> I should say. So, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how Texas Tech plays. But as far as him being Ocha Agbaji, if he shoots 40% from three like Agbaji did and showcases the athleticism that we already know that he has, then there there is a chance. But it's just kind of weird. Agbaji has such a great year at Kansas, ends up being a lottery pick. And now he's out of the rotation as a rookie on a team that was supposed to be, like, the favorite to challenge for the number one pick because they just totally decimated their roster. But as of right now, Utah is undefeated, and Akbaji is out of the rotation as a lottery pick, which I think is is very interesting. All right, when we return, I have a few more questions. But I want to talk to you about Bet Online because Bet Online is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new college basketball season coming up. You can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all of your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It is the fastest and the easiest way to check in on your favorite games, events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, once again, it's Rafael Barlow. NBA Draft Junkies, Director Scouting, NBA Big Board. All right, the next question is, what is your opinion on Eric Gaines? Eric Gaines is one of the players that left LSU. They had a pretty much mass exodus after, you know, all the issues surrounding their coach. Gaines is transferring to UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham. And Eric Gaines has a lot of the stuff that I like in a guard. He has the offensive creativity. He has the shake and bake. He can get his own shot. But he's only 150 pounds. Maybe 160. It's going to be very, very difficult to play in the NBA at 150 pounds. I think that is the biggest concern for Gaines. Talent-wise, he's he's there. I mean, he's lightning quick. He's a blur in the open floor. Um, like I say, he can create his own shot, shifty ball handler. Defensively, he's pesky. He gets he gets two steals per game. He's a good free throw shooter. Despite being a buck fifty, he's a very good rebounder. Has the toughness, soft touch floater package. He has a lot of things I like. Like I said, but again, hundred fifty pounds definitely has to get stronger. Um, struggles finishing through contact, which obviously is related to his weight. Only shot 51% at the rim. I would like to see that a little bit higher. And he's just inefficient from the floor. 39% from the floor overall, 25% from three. Even though he's a good free throw shooter, but still 39-25 shooting splits aren't going to really help help your case for the NBA. I do think like he, he has to show improved decision-making this year. For his career, he only has five more assists and turnovers, which is... 135 assists and 130 turnovers in 63 games. I think he does have a tendency to hunt highlights, and, and maybe that's just his game. Maybe he's just flashy, and he just kind of has that that swagger about him, but he he does have a tendency, at least in my opinion, to hunt highlights, and he can play a little bit too fast and out of control. But the jumper, he has to improve the jump shot because if you're – a buck fifty, you're not going to be able to live in the paint in the NBA. Despite the spacing, you have to be able to knock down jumpers, and he only shot 26% on jump shots. So I think that he has the tools, he has the potential to be an NBA player, but there's a couple things that I think that he really needs to improve on, which the hardest part is going to be adding weight because, I mean, he's going to play against guards that are 40 pounds 
heavier than him. And that's at the minimum. I mean, we're not even talking about like your James Harden. And even your guys like Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, those guys may not look big, but they're a lot stronger with stronger cores. And they'll be able to just kind of like run through him like the tape at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. All right, who is your player that you really like and are higher on than the consensus? So last year, and maybe like the last few years, I've kind of like fell in love with these second round picks, these big ball handlers and, and ball movers that show point guard skills and that can defend up and other position. So a couple years ago, it was Delano Benton. And then last year, I liked Jordan Hall. And this year it is Andre Jackson. Andre Jackson is Andre Jackson is a six six big guard. He has good feel as a passer. I think he has advanced court vision. He makes live dribble reads. He processes quickly. He's unselfish, maybe to a fault. And I just love the touch and the timing that he puts on his passes. Like he can put the passes on the money. He's a natural playmaker. He rebounds. Um, he's the guy that can turn a rebound into a fast break. He's a threat. In transition as a passer and as a finisher. I mean, he, he's a good athlete. He's smooth. And he's fluid. Not like super like vertically explosive, but again, he's like I say, he's smooth. He's fluid. He's fast in the open floor. Has a nice floater. Shot a respectable 36% from three on a decent amount of attempts. Positive assist to turnover ratio. And he's trending in the right direction. So that's why I'm high on Andre Jackson. Now, the concerns are. He has like a very, very funky, funky release on his jumper. And even though he shoots floaters from deep, like I haven't really seen anybody shoot floaters from as deep as he's shooting them since like Juan Carlos Navarro. <laughs> but he shoots floaters from deep. And I think the reason why he shoots floaters is from, from, so, from so far out because he's probably more comfortable shooting a floater or a runner than like a pull-up jumper because his release is just really, really weird. And despite the fact that he is efficient shooting mid-range jumpers on a low volume of attempts, I don't think it's something that he'll be able to do as far as like as a pick and roll ball handler. If the defense goes under the screen, that he'll be able to pull up because his release, like I said, is so funky. But he only shot 31.9% on jumpers. I think that's the area for improvement. And he's inefficient in transition despite the tools and but that is because he likes to pull up for three in transition only shot 31 percent on catch and shoot jumpers and the biggest question or concern is that he can be too unselfish to a fault but i don't know if that will necessarily impact him too much because i think in the nba his role will be as like a a connector instead of like a a go-to score all right two more questions all right, you've spent time in Turkey. What are your thoughts on Adem Bona? This is your first-round pick. Adem Bona is from Turkey. He played basketball, college or high school basketball at Prolific Prep. He's going to UCLA. Phenomenal athlete, vertical athlete, very bouncy, energetic, can play a role as a role man, as a rim runner, you know, vertical lob threat, shot blocker. Has a lot of tools that you like in a modern big. But my biggest knock on Bona is that he's still raw, still raw offensively, but he falls on the floor way too much for me. And I tweeted a few days ago, like, I'm going to keep track of how many times Joel Embiid falls on the ground during the game. And, you know, it's, it's weird because I, I did listen to the game where they say Embiid falls and some of it is to protect himself. So some of it's on purpose. And I understand that. But it's like he's not playing above the rim. 
I could see if he was playing above the rim, but it just seemed like he's always falling over. And then sometimes when he's falling over to prevent himself from getting hurt, it allows the team to have advantages on the other end because he's picking himself up on the ground. Now, Bona is similar to to Embiid, not I mean, they're totally different skill set wise, body type. But Bona's just always on the ground. When I watch his film, I can count at least every game that he's on the ground five to seven times. And sometimes him driving or even like trying to tip a shot in, a little bit of contact falls on the ground and it leads to a transition fast break for the other team. So I do think that he does have first round potential based off of his athleticism and physical tools and just the energy that he brings doesn't need to have the ball in his hands to have an impact. But I just want to see how often he falls on the ground this year. Hopefully it's a lot less than what it was when he was at prolific prep because I felt like he was on the ground all the time. All right. Last question is why didn't Brandon Huntley Hatfield play more at Tennessee? And that is a question I asked myself a lot last year. And I don't know how to say this, right? I guess I'm supposed to be a draft analyst or draft expert. But I do not have a feel on Huntley Hatfield. And I had to ask different coaches that have coached against him and different people that knew him, is he athletic? Because when I watch his film, there are times where he looks like he is a really good athlete. I mean, he has a big body, positional size, but there are times where he'll have the ball in the post and he'll he'll do a jab step and you see like the fluidity in the hips and then he'll make an athletic play and you're just like, okay, this, this guy is a skilled, low post scorer. That's a good athlete. And then there are times where you look and you say like, he's not athletic at all. Starting with his run, the way he runs down the floor it's not like this smooth glide where you project him to be like a, a rim runner. And then just his overall movements are consistent. Like I'm really struggling to figure out, is he athletic or, or not? It's just very weird because, again, he makes these wild plays. There was a play against Kentucky, I believe, where he caught the ball at the free throw line, pump fake, took one dribble, and just kind of like hammered in a powerful dunk. And then there's times where... You know, you, you you just see his movements and you're like, OK, he is your below the rim center. You know, maybe Al Jefferson below the rim type center. Not saying that he's as skilled as Al Jefferson, but it's weird because, you know, when I look at his body, I like, OK, he's stiff in the hips. But then sometimes he'll do like a jab step and spin. It's, it's very, very weird. My knocks on him. Actually, you know, I'll go into the positives first. He has an old school, low, low post NBA game. He's skilled around the block. Does show some flashes of having a soft touch. Has a nice baby hook. Has a nice feel as a low post scorer. And again, he's just your skilled interior presence with a throwback game. If he was born 20 years prior or is in a draft 20 years prior, then I think he's a lock to be a first round pick. Now, I don't even know if he gets drafted just based off of his game as someone that needs low post touches that's not really athletic. And then, like I said, he makes occasional wild plays on offense. I think his best skill set is a passer. He does show, like, a very good feel as as a passer. He does show some passing instincts. But I just can't get a hand, you know, can't put my finger on it. So I'm going to be playing, paying close attention to him this year. But here are my concerns, why I think that he could be this guy that, 
ends up being like a four-year college player or maybe even does not get drafted in the NBA. He's stiff in the hips, not the most agile. He's not a good rebounder. Like, if he gets a rebound, it's because the ball came to him. He doesn't rebound out of his area, just doesn't have, like, the um, – just the natural rebounding instincts that you would want for, for a big. I mean, he just kind of rebounds based off of his size. Um, I think he struggles with length around the rim. He doesn't have a lot of vertical pop. I think he needs to get stronger despite having the looks of a strong frame. He's just kind of easily pushed around in a sense. Doesn't have a mean streak. I would love to see him have a mean streak. Kind of has the gentle giant vibes. Um, doesn't fight for low post position. I think that kind of goes into like his 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 mean streak. And one of my biggest pet peeves about bigs is bigs that load up. So you know if you throw him a pass, I, I think like, I'll get to his hands in a second. But if you throw him a pass, he kind of likes to squat down and power up, and then usually that leads to fouls. I I would love to see guys do just the Pagasol. Pagasol always kept the ball high, never went. It was like the Mike and drill. And I think that. You know, a lot of bigs need to really work on the mic and drill. And if they're not working on it, just if they are working on it, just implement it into their game. Um, I don't think that he'll be able to defend in space. He's a poor free throw shooter, but he has small hands. And you can tell he has small hands. He even bobbles passes. They're, not only are they small, but I think his hands are weak. Shoots a knuckleball shot. Doesn't have like a long wingspan. I mean, just a lot of questions and concerns and that is probably the reason why he did not play a lot at Tennessee but maybe at Louisville he can turn the corner another thing that I want to pay attention to is just his weight how how much his weight fluctuates during the season because I I do think that he has the body type to where he can put on weight fast but overall he's talented he was someone that I honestly thought was going to be a first round pick um, coming into to the draft or coming into last college basketball season. So maybe Tennessee just wasn't a good fit for him. Maybe he just needed a change of scenery. I mean, we've seen it happen before from Austin Reeves to Londis Williams to where guys were just able to be a totally different person on a new team. Well, that wraps up this episode. So thank you for making the Locked On NBA Big Board your first listen of the day. Now for your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, I'm Rafael Barlow. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Stay tuned for the great content we have coming to you this week because as of today, we are now just 14 days away from the start of college basketball. So looking forward to it. All right. I will see you tomorrow, or you will hear me tomorrow. Hopefully everyone has a good day, and I am out.